Well, 1 John, 1 John chapter number 1. And uh, let's stand with me, if you would, for the reading of the Word of God out of respect for His Word. 1 John chapter number 1. Look with me, if you would, starting in verse number 1. This is that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. Thank you. You may be seated. We've, we've looked at, at this chapter thus far over the past several weeks. We've gone over the overview of the book of John it's, it, it, as a, uh, uh, an entirety just to kind of understand the direction that we're going. We've looked at what it was for John to claim that he has personally handled and he knew, he, he, he knew the message of Christ straight from the mouth of Christ. Uh, we've looked at uh, uh, the idea of the, uh, the fellowship and the joy being full, the reason that John is writing, one of the reasons that he's writing here. Um, we, we even looked last week at what it was for God uh, to be declared as being light, and we kind of dissected that. Um, now, we come to a portion of this where we've sort of set the groundwork, and now it's time to really get down to business. And so we've laid the foundation, now it's time to start building the structure and so this is going to be a little more of a practical uh, than, uh, than more of a lesson type of a setting today. This is a little more practical. Now, uh, I'm going to try to follow the me, we, God, you, we type of a, a, a format on this. And so starting with that, I'm just going to say in my life, there have been many times where relationships are good, but then there have been many times where relationships are not so good. Uh, I, you know, I've, I, there have been times where I've raised my voice to the kids and then they become a little sheepish. They don't necessarily want to be, uh, be around dad at the moment because he, he was mad at him. Uh, perhaps I've barked at, a, at, at Sarah or maybe I was a little too gruff or there are things that uh, maybe there's been sin in my life where I have uh, estranged and I have caused this fellowship to be broken. And so I know in my life there are times when fellowship can be broken. Uh, it's, it's broken with family members, it's broken with friends, it's broken with church members, it's broken in many different ways. Uh, and and uh, many times, 
those, those times of fellowship are, that are broken are with the people who are the most important in our life. And, and maybe you, you remember growing up as a kid, uh, as a young man, young, young woman, uh, maybe you can remember times where the people that you should have been the closest to were the very ones that you were the furthest away from. You know, you, you go and you talk to your friends and you talk to your, your classmates and things of that nature. They're the, they're, you know, you're, everything's going well with them, but then your relationship with mom and dad, your relationship with your siblings uh, was difficult. I know this has been true in my life, and if we're, if we're honest, there have been many times where, where broken fellowship is, is evident and tension is high. I've broken promises, I've acted carnally, I've betrayed trusts, and these things led, have led to a broken, broken fellowship in, in my relationships. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has been there. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had these times of broken uh, fellowship. Uh, every, uh, everyone here has experienced something along these lines in some fashion, whether they were the ones who were the one that was wronged or they're the ones who were wronged. Every single one of us have, have had these times uh, in our life and these, these times of broken fellowship. But the church, I want us to understand this morning, the church is much like a family. And, and additionally, our relationship with God uh, is much like the relationship in a marriage or in a family. And so I bring this up because as we have seen in the previous verses, as we've gone through the, some of this study, uh, one of the primary motivations that John puts for writing this letter is that so we individually and corporately uh, may be able to have fellowship with the body. Um, a follow-up purpose for writing this was that our joy might be made full or complete or, or, or it grows into maturity. Uh, we looked at this in depth earlier, but now it's time to make this a little more practical. Now, I want us to, in, 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 our, uh, in our minds as well as in Scripture, keep your hand, place something in First John if you'd like, and go back to Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, chapter number 2 with me, if you would, to see an example of what's, what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 2, that's at the beginning of the Bible, if you're having a hard time finding Genesis. Genesis chapter number 2. And notice what it says in verse, look at verse 15 with me. Genesis 2, verse 15. says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, I'm, I find it interesting here. God creates man, and he puts man in the garden, and he get, gives him a job to do. He gives him a task to do. Dress and keep, or cultivate and protect this garden that I have given to you. Now, now, just as a side note, many people believe that because of sin, we have to work. And people are like, well, I wouldn't have to go to work if it wasn't for sin. Beloved, God created man for work. He gave him a job before sin came along. It's, it's the toil and the difficulty that comes into work uh, that, uh, uh, that sin brought about. But that's, that's, a, that's off to the side there. But we see that the one rule was given here, and there was a penalty that was given for the rule. Notice that in verse number 17. He says, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
He says, here's, what, here's your rule. You can do whatever you want with any of those trees. You can eat anything off that fruit, but if you do this one, you're going to die. Don't eat from this one, you're going to die. And we all know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, don't we? He ate of it. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind, when I read, read things like this, I start to connect certain dots and I, I struggle with something because later on in the book of Genesis, you find out that Adam lived to be 930 years old. But God said, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. And so, in my mind's eye, I kind of wrestle with that, thinking to myself, well, either God was incorrect or I'm incorrect in what I'm understanding as far as death. And so, understanding what was taking place here, now, if you remember, as we looked at the light last week, we paid attention also to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then later on, it talks to us, it says, in Him was light, or it was life, and he was the light of all men. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly. And so here we are. He says that uh, uh, God says, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. What is death but separation from life? I mean, that's about as deep as we can get, right? If, I, if I'm living and I have life and I am separated from that life, I am dead. And so God was not incorrect. And, and Adam didn't get off the hook. In the day that he ate, he was separated from God. He was separated from life. And so he had a death that took place there, a spiritual death. And so whenever we see death in the Word of God in this type of a sense, death in, in the Word of God is in reference to being separated from God who is the source of life. And so if you drop down into verse number 18, he says, And God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an helpmeet for him. And so we see how uh, God makes a helpmeet for Adam, and, in, and uh, uh, he brings them together. If you drop down in chapter number 2 to verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And this is a unity, a unifying that takes place. The two became, uh, became one flesh. In other words, they had fellowship with one another. But drop down into Genesis chapter number 3 now, because what we find is something that is very interesting that oftentimes gets overlooked. He says in verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree uh, of the garden. I want you to note something that takes place here. If you were to read Genesis chapter 1, and you can look at this in your, on your own time, uh, you'll see all through the creation, and God said, let there be light. And God said, uh, let the, uh, uh, let the uh, trees sprout forth. God said, let the waters be separated. You see, and God said, and God said, and God said. But in chapter 2, there's a transition that takes place in chapter 2, in chapter two where it says, and the Lord God. So it changes from and God to the Lord God. And all through chapter 2 now, as you, once it picks up Lord God and it leaves God, there's a difference that takes place here. God, the, the, the word for God, the name God in chapter 1, as you see, is that Elohim, that creator God, that loving God, the loving, creative God. He, he spoke the worlds into existence. He brought this into place. But then when it says the Lord God, notice what it did there in verse number 15. 
It says, and the Lord God, verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden. The Lord God commanded the man. The Lord God is this, uh, this Jehovah God, the righteous God. And you don't see God Elohim, you don't see that name for God brought back in again until here in chapter number 3. And so the creative, the loving, the, uh, the, uh, the emotional loving God who created all the, worlds, uh, all the world and put everything into it, spoke the worlds into existence, the loving God brings it about. But then when it comes time for setting rules, you see Jehovah, the righteous God. These are not two different gods. These are two different names for the one and the same God. An example of that would be some people call me Andy. Some people call me Pastor. Some people call me Daddy. But you're all talking about the same person. Some people call me Sugar Baby. All one and the same person, right? Actually, I just put those words in her mouth. She usually calls me Hey You. But... But it's all one and the same individual. But what we're doing is we're looking at two different aspects or multiple different aspects. It's not that we serve a schizophrenic God. It's you're looking at different parts of Him. I am a father. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I am a man. I am a son. I am a brother. And so you see all of these different aspects. And what you're introduced in the Word of God, nothing is placed there on accident. You don't have Elohim, 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 all through chapter number one and leading into chapter number two, and then all of a sudden a shift for no reason. But in chapter three, we see that shift again. Notice chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Look at the rest of this. And he, the serpent, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You see what the serpent did here? You see, the righteous God will give you a rule. He will let you know you can't do something but the serpent steps out and said, would a loving God really tell you, you can't eat that? You see what he did? How many times have you heard people say things like, well, a loving God wouldn't, a loving God wouldn't send somebody to hell. A loving God wouldn't, wouldn't create a place like hell. A loving God wouldn't uh, uh, allow these atrocities in the world. A loving God wouldn't stop for just a minute because you're only focusing on one part of the whole God. A righteous God would. A righteous God will give you restrictions because he knows where the problem lies. But Satan doesn't want you to focus on those things. He's going, would a loving God really tell you you can't? Well, yes, because the loving God and the righteous God are one and the same. And because he loves me, he is righteous. And he gives me right rules. But I want you to note what took, what took place here. If you continue to read in chapter 3, it says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, the fruit, uh, but of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, a uh, 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 fruit of the tree which is in the midst of, of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Whoa, wait a second. I don't remember God saying you can't touch it. 
you can pull it off the tree and play baseball with it. I don't think he gave you any rule as far as that's concerned. He just said, don't eat it. But here we have an, a, an example of someone adding to. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of the Pharisees who were told to honor the Sabbath day, and then they put all these extra rules and regulations around the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to spit on dirt because it made mud on the Sabbath day. I don't remember reading that in Scripture, but those are the rules that they had. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall uh, you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. That term, as God's, he says, you're going to be like him. Beloved, don't forget, man was already made in the image and likeness of God. This fruit was not going to bring that about. She bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. And as you continue to read through, uh, you know how the, the serpent seduced Eve into making a bad decision. And then Adam joined in her folly. And as a result, what happened? Fellowship was broken. But it wasn't only the fellowship between God and man. It was the fellowship between husband and wife. You see it? Look what he says here in verse, verse number 10. The fellowship that's broken. Uh, actually drop back in verse 9 it says and the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou and he said I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he hid from God continue to look down and he said uh, who told thee that thou wast naked hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee uh, that thou shouldest not eat in verse 12 and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to be with me she gave me of the tree and I did eat there's the fellowship between the two people broken. You know, I separate myself from God because I'm hiding from him. That's fellowship that's broken there. And as a result, I also estrange the people that are around me that I should be protecting and I should be keeping close to me. There's fellowship that is broken. You can mark it down. Anytime, anytime fellowship is broken, it's because sin is involved. Anytime fellowship is broken. Sin breaks fellowship. Man and woman were now at odds with one another. Uh, God was at, uh, and, and man was at odds with one another. And, and it wasn't because of anything God did. It was because Adam had placed something between him and God. And as a result of his vertical relationship, his vertical fellowship being out of whack, now his horizontal relationship with his wife was out of whack. You see, fellowship goes a whole lot deeper than a potluck next door. And fellowship is one of those areas that if we would learn to simply look at what this is talking about, we can solve a lot of issues within the life of not only the church, but in our homes as well. So let's go back now to first John or yeah, to first John, chapter number one. And look at what it says here about this fellowship, starting in verse number six. Keep in mind, verse 3, verse 4, let us know the reason he's writing here, one of the reasons he's writing, that our fellowship, we could have fellowship with one another, and our joy may be complete. And then he comes right off the heels of that going into this. So this has something to do with our fellowship and our joy. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
Let's think about this for just a, just a moment here, the idea of walking in truth or practicing the truth. You see, walking in darkness, there are some, uh, there's some discussion on this, and it depends on which commentary you pick up, depends on who you listen to. Uh, you'll find different uh, ideas as far as what it means to, uh, to walk in darkness. Some say that this is uh, saying that walking means even the slightest practice. And I've heard people say it this way, whenever you sin, you have stopped, walk, you, you are walking in darkness and therefore you lose your salvation. Uh, that's not the case. They say that when you step into any sin of any sort, you're no longer saved. And uh, my, my friends, this does not keep with the rest of Scripture. Jesus said it this way, whoever is in the hand of the Father, no man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. And I've even heard people say it this way, well, somebody else may not be able to pluck me, but I'm able to pluck myself. No, 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 my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. None. And so we need to understand this. We need to get it into our minds. Okay, John is not at odds with the rest of that doctrine. It is in sync with that doctrine. You see, there are others who say that the walk means a way of life. In other words, someone who consistently practices sin is not saved. Now, while I would not necessarily disagree with, uh, with the idea behind this statement, I do not think it is the best understanding of what John is saying right here. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, if you are able to, to live in a life where you really don't care about your sin, it's not a big deal, you're, you're fine to keep moving on with it, and you don't think anything of it, you need to check your salvation. Because the Bible lets us know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, crying out, Abba, Father. So I don't think, though, that it's the best use of the term here. The, you see, the word walk is the Greek word peripateo. And this word peripateo means to, uh, to live or a way of life or to follow. It can also mean uh, uh, a form of walking around. Uh, it, 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 uh, it, it can kind of para being around or alongside of. Peripateo meaning to walk. In other words, it's a way of just kind of walking around showing I can do this and I'm fine. I'm Okay. It almost gives the idea of a strut. And so he says, uh, it can, it, the, the Greek word can literally mean a way of life or, uh, or living or to follow a certain type of principle, but it also has the idea of someone who lives in their sin with no concern or desire to be rid of it. It says of them, they are deceiving themselves. See what it says in verse 6? If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, John is talking about the individual who says one thing and lives another. He is using blunt wording here to convey the, the, the blatant hypocrite. Not the individual who tries their hardest but often fails. So just pause for a moment. Uh, if, if you have fallen this week, beloved, God still loves you and desires that fellowship with you. He hasn't washed his hands of you. John's not talking about, uh, about this in the sense of, uh, uh, of the person who is attempting to do their best. H.G. Wells, I think I put it on there, yeah. H.G. Uh, Wells said it this way. He says, a man may, may be a very bad musician and yet be passionately in love with music. You see, love of a thing does not mean perfection in execution. 
we are not sinless. We're not perfect. And as much as I would like to be, I'm not going to be perfect this side of heaven. I'm still struggling with sin. And if you believe you're not struggling with sin, the Bible lets us know that you're deceiving yourself. John lets it be known the desire for improvement is the evidence here. To say that you have fellowship with Him is surrendering to His Spirit's leadership. It is the sleeplessness that you experience when you know you are in sin. It is the lack of peace that comes from being at odds with Him. We cannot, understand this, we cannot have fellowship and at the same time be contrary to His Word and His righteousness. We can't. Now, that's not to say that we don't have that relationship and our salvation goes away. That's not what is being taught here. It's the fellowship that is sweet. It is the fellowship that we have with one another and the fellowship that we have around the Word of God. We lose that. And you'll never have a fully unhindered fellowship while sin is in the midst. But you're also going to notice something else. Of fellowship with one another. Look what it says in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Wow, this is one of those that gets overlooked a lot because typically when we're in the book of uh, 1 John here, uh, we focus in on that fellowship that we have with Him. And John wants it to be abundantly clear it's, it, that the fellowship that we have with God affects the fellowship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, remember that this is, that in this fellowship, God, uh, John connects the vertical and the horizontal. In verse 6, we see the vertical relationship. And now John takes the vertical relationship and reveals the horizontal relationship. See what he says? If our vertical is not intact, a.k.a. walking in the light, then our horizontal relationship will not be right. Fellowship one with another. Barclay says of this fellowship that whatever destroys fellowship is not truth. You cannot be exclusive, an exclusive church and still be a true church of Christ. Truth is the foundation of fellowship. Whatever, whatever separates, whatever divides fellowship, whatever keeps fellowship from being sweet, whatever prevents fellowship is not of God. Not of God. You see, this abiding in the light is what brings about the active cleansing from sin as well. I want you to notice what it says there in verse 6. He says, uh, we have fellowship uh, one with another. But notice the next half of the verse is, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That word for cleanseth is an active thing that is taking place. Now, we look at salvation, and when I am born again by the Spirit of God, I am saved and I am justified, and we sometimes focus on that, and we say, see, I was cleansed. But here in John, he talks about being cleansed in an active fashion or a continual fashion. Here's what is, uh, it needs to be understood by all of that. 
Uh, it's not a matter of progressive salvation as much as progressive sanctification. Justification is a one-time act. It takes place at the moment of salvation. But as I continue to walk in the light, as I continue to live closer with the Lord, as I continue to pursue this fellowship with Him, His blood is a continual cleansing agent to cleanse me more and more from other sin. To help me have power over those things. See, the more we abide in the light, we are daily cleansed from more and more sin. In other words, I may not be sinless, but I will sin less. Not only did the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, atone for our sins, but it also provides a continual equipping for holiness. Look at something else with me, if you would. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This idea of having no sin can be seen really in two different ways. The, uh, uh, the syntax of, of the sentence itself, put, to, put together the way it is, can draw a, a couple different conclusions. One, it's the man who says he has no sin to confess. And so uh, uh, for a man to say, uh, you know, many will try to excuse away their sins. Well, I only acted that way because of what they did. And so it's really not my fault. What did Adam do? Well, she gave it to me. And so the only reason I ate it is because she gave So it's really her fault. What did she do? She says, I, I, well, you know, you, the only reason I did it is because the serpent. No. We've got to get it down. Remember that we are right here. And this is one of the ways that, uh, uh, that you can look at that. The man who says that I don't have any sin to confess. It's not my fault. I made the mistake. I was misinformed. A second way that we see this is the one who says that he has no need to confess a sin. No need to confess it because it really isn't a big deal. Jesus saved me and I believe in eternal salvation. So, who cares if I sin or not? And so you can look at this, uh, this uh, idea of having no sin in two different ways there. The man who says he has no sin to confess, or number two, the one who says he has no need to confess. You see, there's a warning in this. If you truly live this way, you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. If you are living this way, John is not saying that anyone who sins is unsaved. What he is saying is that if you can live this kind of lifestyle, there's no evidence of truth in you. And so it's time for us to examine, very seriously examine. You may be in danger of not truly knowing Jesus. The person who is born again by the Spirit of God will hear that and say, I'm going to do some self-examination. The person who is not truly born again by the Spirit of God is going to dig their heels in and say, ah, that's just his opinion. No. The person who is born again by the Spirit of God is going to have a desire to want to change. Have you ever read that passage, men? Let me talk to you men for just a minute. Have you ever read the passage, if your eye offends you, pluck it out? And you have looked at a fork and seriously thought about digging out your eye. I've been there. I've been on my knees and begged the Lord to strike me blind. Take my tongue. 
Remove from me whatever you need to be removed. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that to us. The person who does not have the Holy Spirit of God doesn't care. They just go on about their business. Look at verses 9 and 10, and we'll start toward our conclusion here. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. I want you to notice the faithful forgiveness The only remedy for this kind of life is a repentant heart. Humble confession to God and if need be to others. The wonderful thing about this, get this, we cannot depend on our speed and in confession. We can't. I'm slow to confess many times. But we can depend on something. His speed in forgiveness. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. While I can't necessarily depend on how fast I am to confess, to repent, to forsake, I can depend on the fact that the God who is light and in Him is no darkness at all, the God who cannot lie, the God who never deceives, the God who who, who I can trust that when I confess, He will forgive. That's the God I serve. Thank you, Susan, for that song. nothing so dirty he can't clean it up nothing a friend of mine made a pulpit for me <laughs> it's been some time ago but several years ago and he was looking for the piece to go on the top and uh, it was all metal I mean this thing was 4,000 pounds and it was all metal and he said, I needed to find the right size, the right piece to go on the top. And he said, and then it dawned on me, there's a piece of metal out in the parking lot that I have driven over for the last four years. So he went out to the parking lot. And he got that old, beat-up, nasty, rusted piece of steel. He, he, he sanded it down. He got it all cleaned up and everything. And he said, I wanted, he says, as soon as it hit my mind, I wanted to use that piece of metal because I was just thinking about how nasty, disgusting, and wretched I was. And he took me, and he made me new. I preached from that for several years. When I left Liberty, he made me a small version of it. It's sitting on my desk. And I think about that often. I'm so thankful that he made me new. Remember that God says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. All have sin. This word sin is the Greek word hamartia, which uh, is, is not just a matter of committing a wrong. It literally means to miss the mark. It gives the idea of aiming with your bow at a target. And when you release the arrow, even though you were aiming at the bullseye, you may have hit the outer ring. But you still missed the mark. You still didn't hit bullseye. So maybe myself and Michael Johnson are bragging over who can jump the farthest. And he takes off running as fast as he can, and he jumps an amazing 26 feet. 
and it's my turn. And I stretch, and I take off running, and I pull every hamstring, and I make it an astounding six feet. But you know, neither one of us have the right to brag because we were both trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. That's the idea. You see, beloved, we have all missed the mark. Let me put it this way. If I am not as good of a father as I can be, I have missed the mark. If I am not as good of an employee as I can be, I have missed the mark. If I'm not as good as a, of a citizen as I can be, I have missed the mark. If I'm not as loving a husband as I can be, I have missed the mark. And it's sin. And for anybody to say that they don't have that problem, they are deceiving themselves. For, for us today, for us to say that we don't have a struggle with sin, you know what the Bible says of that? You see, here's the problem. We were looking at, at John as a whole, and one of the issues that John is, is facing is he's trying to stop the idea uh, of a, uh, uh, that the Gnostics were putting out there. And you've heard it today. I'm sure you've talked to somebody who believes that they have progressed so far in their salvation that they are now sinless. They don't struggle with sin anymore. I've heard people say that to me that they have progressed in their sanctification to the point they no longer struggle with sin. Beloved, that's not true. And we can't get to that place. The Bible tells us in both 1 Peter 5, 5 and James 4, 6 that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I'm so thankful He gives grace. and I'm so thankful He drives me to my knees and reminds me of the wretch that I am regularly. You see, there's, there's, the Bible is, is clear when it says in verse 10 that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. God says we have sinned. And God says that all have fallen short. And no matter how good I get, no matter how strong I come in the faith, no matter how close I get to the Lord, I still struggle with sin. Now it's time to make it personal. The bottom line is this. Any break of fellowship is due to sin. And if fellowship is broken, then sin is involved somewhere. Strained relationships within the body of Christ, strained relationships in the home, uh, simply amongst friends or co-workers. Whenever fellowship is broken, you can guarantee sin is present. Whether it's your sin or their sin, that doesn't matter. What we need to get down to at the bottom of it, the Bible says if your brother is taken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him. So if it's their fault, it's your responsibility to come alongside them, lift them up, and Bring them closer to Christ. But if it's your sin, confess it. And if you need to cut your hands off, cut them off. And somebody's going to walk away from this saying, well, this, this is a bloody church. They just want me to cut my hands off and dig my eyes out with forks. If that's what it takes to be close to the Lord, are you willing? I can't tell you how many times I've thought about it. 
when sin is in my life, I cannot expect my fellowship with Him to be right. I can't expect God to bless when I'm in sin. I can't expect my relationship with my family to be right. There's a lot of husbands in this world wondering why their wives aren't one with them. The truth of the matter is it's because they're not one with the Lord. What was the great commandment Jesus said? The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. We get so busy focusing on the second, we ignore the first. And my relationship with her will never be right until I make him number one priority. I'll never be the dad or the husband or the pastor I can be until I am right with him and I pursue him with 100% of my being. Beloved, confess your sin, forsake it, and here's the beauty. God's character is at stake in this. Do you realize it? If you go to him in confession, his character is at stake in forgiving you because his word says he'll forgive. And so if you're wondering, will God forgive me? Will God cleanse this one? Mm -hmm. Because if he doesn't, it makes him a liar. It says if we confess, he is faithful and he is just to forgive. Have you yourself, have you bought into the lie that there's nothing that you need to confess? Maybe you're even saying, well, God's all right. I'm, I'm a good enough guy. God's okay with me. I, I, it's not really that big of a deal. Well, perhaps today is the day in repentance and faith you need to trust Christ as Savior and give your life over to Him. What about us corporately? Well, as a body, we need to realize that each one of us is part of the whole. My sin affects the body as a whole. Your sin affects the body as a whole. It's like having a toothache. You ever had a toothache and your toes hurt? Your whole head hurts? You can feel it in every, every part of your body. When your tooth hurts, the whole, whole body kind of loses its ability to function correctly. People take sick days because of a toothache. Are you the toothache in the body of Christ? Jesus instructed that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's important that we get that in order, then loving our neighbor as ourself. So, 1 John, here he is. He's introducing to us the light. He's introducing to us God. And he says, now on a practical level, how's your fellowship? Here's the first test of truly being born again by the Spirit of God. How's your fellowship? How's your fellowship with Him? How's your fellowship with them? Are you living in broken fellowship and okay with that? 
Maybe you need to examine your fellowship with Him. Maybe that's where we need to start. Father, we come before You, Lord, humbled at the thought that You loved us so much that You're willing to make us new. You're willing to cleanse us. We thank You, Father, for the blood of Jesus Christ that doesn't just cleanse us to the point of salvation, but it cleanses us daily, daily, making us more and more like Him. Daily covering that wretchedness of our flesh. Helping us and empowering us to be more than we are. We thank You, Lord, that You give to us a, 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 a thermometer of sorts in the fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship that we have with our loved ones, to see if our fellowship with You is right. And so, Father, help us to make that relationship with You something that is so sweet and so important so that we can love and fellowship with others correctly. Father, if there be any here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, perhaps they, they have trusted you at some point in their life, but they have, uh, they've grown lazy, that today would be the day where they come to you in repentance and faith, be it for salvation or for renewed uh, focus. Let today be that day. We pray all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen.